This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for September 1st, 2020. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can find us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, you can click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to the red circle. You click the Sponsor This Show button and you can do a one-time or reoccurring donation. Nothing's required, but it'd be certainly be appreciated. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm joining us always with Case Low. In case you were telling me about your setup just now, right, as we're pre-recording, I have to say, we are the most professional operation you'll see. We have mic arms and we have microphones, but don't ask us for anything else. No, that's that's all you need. Uh, the price may vary in terms of the amount of money that Mike has spent on his setup compared to the amount of money I have spent on my setup. And and the beautiful thing is, I think we sound equally as nice, so you don't really know who has spent more money on anything. Uh, and that that's a victory for myself as someone that has found the cheapest broadcast arm on Amazon is using one of the cheapest microphones uh, that I believe it is an Audio-Technica microphone, one of the cheapest microphones that they sell but it all works out. I am back in Chicago. I am without a desk to record from, so I have clipped my broadcasting arm to the windowsill in my bedroom, and I am recording from the edge of my bed with my laundry basket turned upside down to place my laptop on top of that, and I am ready to talk about, to conclude what has been one of the busiest months in recent history for Dragon Gate, August 2020, eight live shows on the Dragon Gate Network, and it concluded on August 30th in Kobe Sambo Hall. That's right. Uh, before we get into it, I like Audio-Technica equipment. I vouch for them. So if you're looking for that, you can go with Case and you can go with me. This is an Audio-Technica shop here. But absolutely, getting into Kobe Sambo Hall, this was it for the month. A very busy month. I mean, it's wild to think that just four weeks ago, we were talking about Memorial Gate case, and now we are only about three live shows before uh, Dangerous Gate, which is wild to think of. And I can't think of a time in recent memory where Dragon Gate put on as many live shows that made tape as this month. It's been it's been a lot, and we, it kind of came to a close at home base in Kobe Samba Hall. So before we get into it, Case, what were your thoughts about this show and overall like finishing up the month of August in Dragon Gate? Well, August was a massive success. I mean, I liked basically all of the shows that aired and some of the house shows I thought looked super interesting and wish they would have aired. I mean, anytime you get eight live shows in a month, including one big show with Memorial Gate and the overwhelming majority deliver, that can only be looked at as a plus. I mean, Memorial Gate was a weird show, but it had Ata versus Doi at the very end of it, which made up for whatever bizarreness might have occurred on the undercard. I like the Cork and Hall show this month. The Osaka shows are always solid. And now we're here at Kobe Sambo Hall, the second Kobe Sambo Hall show of the month, which, you know, a year ago, this might have done Mike Spears in. Mike might not have (laughs) been able to handle two Kobe Sambo Hall shows in one month. That is a large undertaking for anybody to ask. 
to, to watch this, to report on them. I do notice as my window is open, there is someone across the street pointing and wondering what I am doing, the perils <laughs> of living in a hustling, bustling, even in a pandemic, Chicago neighborhood. I am now incredibly self-conscious at the actions that are occurring here. But ultimately, I liked Kobe Sambo Hall, and that is what matters. And that is really what we are here to discuss. Yeah, that is. On this show, we're going to talk about the uh, conclusion of the Gate Adventure. They actually call this the finale for once. Uh, We're going to dip into Mexico. There was some stuff happening with uh, Yuki Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker. We'll preview Okinawa. Which sadly, unless we get like a nice little surprise and it makes tape, will not be taped. And then we have a full card for next week's Corican. But this Kobe Sambo Hall show, attendance was only down slightly. It was 298, just slightly down from 306, considering how much they really run that area. I mean, this is the third Kobe Sambo Hall show they've had in two months. You know, I'd be feel pretty happy about it. And this was a this was an interesting Kobe Sambo Hall show. This was a show that there was some moving parts that went on with it. Uh, well, we did not have anything really building towards. I would say, well, we had one one situation I think is strongly building towards something at uh, Dangerous Gate. But overall, this was just a pleasant show, and we and we came away with this show. I mean, I didn't have any matches that were four stars or better, but this was a just especially after like the Fukuoka shows that just were very dry. This this was a show that had a lot of going, a, a lot of stuff that can kept your attention for about an hour and a half. Yeah, same with me. Nothing on the spreadsheet. One match at three and three quarters and a few others close by. But one of those shows, like we've talked about, I think the the biggest takeaway so far in terms of Dragon Gate's performance in the limited capacity COVID-19 setting is these shows are rushed with no intermission and they're clocking in right around two hours. And, and that is so palatable and digestible, and I hope, you know, maybe Cork and Hall and the big five shows, when some normalcy returns, those shows have an intermission, but the Sambo Hall shows, the Osaka shows, the Fukuoka shows, I think they are so much more enjoyable uh, watching live or even watching on demand without an intermission. You know, on demand, you can skip ahead, but it's still, it's it's a step that you have to take that I might not necessarily want to take. Uh, here, it's just nice that these shows are, are to the point, very simple, and they're over in about two hours. Yeah, so the show started with, like, the standard reading talk. This time they had Doi in there talk, signing stuff, so I felt like this was going on. And then suddenly, Big R Shimizu came out, and he came out to accuse people because, as we noted in Fukuoka, Shimizu got his beloved entry form as stated that he is the first entrant in the uh, risk cage match at uh, Dangerous Gate. He he won that that record pool, but he saw that Dr. Muscle stole the form. And then Masato Yoshino came out and said, hey, he was not Dr. Muscle because obviously Shimizu was like, I saw Torbellino. That means you're Dr. Muscle. I was like, no, I'm not Dr. Muscle. But found this backstage in Fukuoka, and then Shimizu started like demanding it over. Yoshino agreed to give it to Shimizu if Shimizu took the fall in the main event, and that brought out. And he said, "Yeah, I'll agree to that." And then he talked about like how he was like not doing so well, and then Ada came out and accused him of sandbagging it, and that was an an opening segment that usually like that's a summation that I got from Jay on Twitter at dg underscore j, but entertaining stuff like Shimizu as like the buffoon character that he is now like this was kind of like an entertaining thing like you don't really I thought it was pretty amusing even without being fluent in Japanese it was a good segment uh, Shimizu is unfortunately very entertaining as a goof or as a fool or as a blubbering idiot it is almost the John Moxler I guess rather the Dean Ambrose curse where once people in WWE found out that he could be funny it was all over and I, and I do sometimes worry about the state of Shimizu's career a guy that I think when he really turns it on is legitimately a top 10 top 15 guy in the world I do worry sometimes that his career has taken him down a more comedic comedic trajectory but then he does segments like this that are fun and feel, you know, almost in the vein of an old Torimon angle, and it's nice to see. Yeah, yeah, and that was fun to see. And then Yoshino went to the back, and I was like, why is Yoshino going to the back? That's because he has an, he was in the opening match. It was kind of like the standard Torimon opening team 
of Ultimo Dragon, Masato Yoshino and Ryo Saito. Most notably, he went to the back because for his retirement tour, there is a new version of Speed Star. Did you notice it immediately that it was a new version? Because it took me a moment to recognize that there is a Speed Star 2020. Someone alert Andrew Rich. I It was brought to my attention. I, that is not the type of thing that for whatever reason wrestling theme songs just do not connect with me and that's it fair. was it was not until i saw a tweet that i realized oh that's right that song that i've been hearing uh, weekly essentially for 7 years it's a different song now uh and and once i realized that and it once again sunk in like wow we are nearing the end of Masato Yoshino it's hard to believe yeah yeah and he faced off against the uh, Dragon Gate Army team, a Strong Machine J, Jason Lee, and Dragon Daya. Dragon Daya continues like his interesting dichotomy of R.E.D. figuring him out, but he still has his, the number of everyone in Torimon Dragon Gate as he got the win with the Reptilian Rana in 13 minutes and 38 seconds. The person who took the, the fall was Ryo Saito, and you know, this was just like a standard opener to me. I thought this was decent. I really liked this. I, okay. I I don't know I don't know what it was specifically. I mean, look, I really like the chemistry specifically that Daya has with Yoshino. I think those two are excellent together. And as we talk about the impending finale of Yoshino, I think it's a real shame that we're probably not going to get a big singles match between the two. I mean, just given the role of the dragon essentially between Ultimo and then especially Dragon Kid and his relationship with Masato Yoshino, it seems like, you know, Gate of Destiny 2022, we should be getting an open the Brave Gate match between Daya and Yoshino that blows our minds. And knowing that we're not getting that is really disappointing. You know, Saito is is a, his own little universe and he was fine. And I like what he did with Daya. I like what he did with Jason Lee. What I loved about this match, and, and I'm probably three and a half stars on this opener. Okay. Uh, what I really loved about this match had nothing to do with the in-ring action. It had to do with Ultimo Dragon, who we talked about once we found out that his Kobe World 2019 appearance was not a one-off, that he was going to be sticking around in some capacity. You and I were really worried that maybe the Ultimo of old would rear his ugly head and that we would have cards full of Ultimo's ego rather than Ultimo students. I remember specifically Gate of Destiny last year. Ultimo was in what I think is one of the worst Dragon Gate matches ever because it was a match built around just all of the flaws that this man has, but his time has gone on, and he's been in the company for a year now. It's like, oh, you know, Ultimo was working these openers. Like, he, he kind of knows his place. He's kind of fun on these undercards. And I love that in this current generational warfare, where R.E.D. is wearing red, the Toribot guys are wearing like a like a greenish-blue, and the Dragon Gate generation is wearing gold, Ultimo Dragon is decked out in gold from head to toe in this match. It is a very small thing, but it is a good reminder of the ego of Ultimo Dragon that he can't even stick to the color coordination of the unit that he helped found. I I think that Ultimo has like three costumes he brings around with him when he's in Japan. It's his gold costume, which seems to be his favorite one. And then he, he does have a blue light blue costume. So he does have one that fits in with the unit colors. And he has like this really cool like black and silver one. So it's almost in a way it's like, okay, because that the black and silver really kind of feels like a heel uh, get up. He has something for every occasion. I mean, he's a man for every occasion. We've seen his Instagram. It's it, He really is a fashion plate out there. Him and uh, him and Dr. Wagner Jr. are the two, who are the two 50 plus fashion plates in wrestling. But it, it's been like Ultimo, like it does seem like that. He is perfectly content doing this. I know that he is that that he's not necessarily in Kobe all the time, but whenever he's in Kobe, he helps out training. He does seem to like he's taking like an elder statesman role, which is like exactly what I want of Ultimo Dragon at this time. And it's fun seeing him with like the person who would be like the his spiritual grandson in Dragon Daya, and that's something that's always going to be fascinating to me. I went two and three quarters for it just because 
I, I, I did like the interplay with Daya and Yoshino. I did like, I felt like that Rio Saito was fine. It just was something that like, this was a match that can very easily, like, I was like, since it's like, okay, this is what this match is going to be. And it, we did get some like strong machine J in there that I thought was kind of interesting. And, you know, it just was like Dragon Daya sold his ass off for like 10 minutes. And that was really solid. But I mean, with, with that, and you're doing this in something that, I mean, Rio Saito took the Reptilian Rana, but no one was going nuts there. I was like, okay, this is an opening match, but two and three quarters and a good time for my opener. I was, uh, under normal circumstances, I think I would be a little bit concerned with Dragon Daya taking as much offense as he did, because you're right, he sold for like 10 minutes in this match, but I just, I enjoyed the match so much, I don't know, I'm typically down on these Dragon Gate openers, because if you write about every Cork and Hall Dragon Gate opener for five years, you will learn, oh my god, all of these matches are the same, and I have run out of adjectives <laughs> to describe them, but this one I thought was a level above, and especially as they continue to do these tournaments on Drangate six-man openers, which still feel like they're building to something, even if I don't know what it is. I thought this might have been the best of the bunch that we've seen. That's fair. That's fair. And then match two was a very interesting match. It was an unaffiliated tag as we had a Torimon team of Susumi Yokosuka and Don Fuji teaming up against Gamma, who is unaffiliated, and Keisuke Okuda. Gamma got the win in uh, 12 minutes and 28 seconds with like a flash rolling prawn hold and this was like a fun little match i went three and a quarter on it i had a good time with this like this was like we had don fuji out here who is you're dead on don fuji is going full bore this like last four months of the year and we got a nice a lot of just kind of him and gamma just being cranky old man together and then you have okuda who's just always just pissed off and storms to the back even though his team won this week it's fascinating to me that in the match with Kaisuke Akuda, who since he has come into this company, we have been the biggest Akuda fans there are. There are hardcore Dragon Gate fans that are still not super into Akuda, despite, I think, how much Mike and I love him. Susumu Yokosuka, one of the great, greatest wrestlers ever. Those two are in this match. In 2020, is so weird that I'm going like, man, I can't wait to see what Fuji and Gamma are going to do with this. Like, I'm so excited to see, even if his name is off of your whiteboard, Gamma kind of brought it in this match. And oh, once he again, did. once again, Don Fuji is just a man possessed right now. Maybe it's just all the bars are closed and he's just got this pent up aggression that he doesn't know what to do with. I don't know why Don Fuji is exerting as much effort as he is. But I am all for it and what I thought was a really fun match number two. Yeah, like, it's something where Don Fuji, maybe it is that, like, they don't have crowds in sumo, so he's, like, watching sumo. He's maybe a little bit down on that. Maybe there's not, there aren't any as many good train matches. We know that the bars are closing early. But he he's brought it. Him and Gamma, whenever those two get into it, they really have kind of a fun, cranky old man dynamic of, oh, they're going to be absolute assholes to each other for this match. And after each match, they're like, okay, that was good. That was good. We're friends again still. And then Okuda and Fuji, like those two guys, and they've been kind of been going at it a lot this month, and it's been really kind of exciting. And this was just like fun. This was the shortest match on the show, and it flew by. Yeah, no, it's it's th this is the kind of stuff that I expect to see when I'm in Kobe Sambo Hall. It's kind of a hodgepodge match that over delivers to some extent. Right, and then we had what was kind of like something that we we've seen a lot this year, and really going back to last year, a Singles match with KZ in it. KZ was against Ginky Horikuchi. He won in 11 minutes and 43 seconds. This was fine. I gave it a three stars. I thought this was just fine. Just like their singles match in January in the same building, it was fine. It was maybe not exactly what I wanted, but it was fine. Yeah, pretty grapply. You know, this wasn't like the KZ, like, throwing stiff strikes and selling his ass off. These two basically uh, decided to, to roll around for five minutes, and then, you know, it was fine. You know, it, whatever you think this match is, that's what it was. It was three stars. It was fine. The The one thing that I should note that shocked me when I saw it in the match was that Casey kicked out of the beach break. And I he don't did. know, in the 20-year the history, 21-year career of Genki Horiguchi, I don't know how many people have kicked out of that move. I mean, the beach break is kind of his super finisher 
a move that he rarely uses because every time I see it, I am like, oh my god. Like, I know there are ways to protect yourself on this move, and it still looks dangerous when people do that. But KZ kicked out of that. KZ tried to beat Genki with a backslide from heaven, which I really liked. And then he eventually put him away with his own finish. Again, a three. this is exactly it. This is a gentleman's three. Good work by both men. But the beach break kickout specifically really popped me. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean... I can't remember the last time that a beach break uh, was done, like, for one. Like, I don't think he, even, like, Ginky was Bravegate champion a couple of years ago. He was doing the beach break. I, I feel like he used it at at least one point last year. I think there was a—maybe it might have even been this year building up to the Kaito Ishida Bravegate challenge. There you was a, what? You're right. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a time in the past year where I remember him using it because it's—, it's almost like the muscular bomb in the sense that it's it's kind of notable whenever it's done. It's just a move that is not used that often. And so we use it, I would say, at some point in the last 12 to 18 months, but off the top of my head, I could not figure out when and where he used it. That's fair. That's fair, yeah. And then after that, we had what might have been one of my two matches of the night. It was a unaffiliated tag team match because it was two... Dragon Gate Army teams, as it was Benkei and Kota Minenora versus Yamato and Yosuke Santa Maria. I really like this. Like, this had the most surprising fall of the night. Uh, Yosuke Santa Maria got the pin with a with a European clutch on on Benkei in 15 minutes and 21 seconds, which, if Yosuke Santa Maria is not getting the Brave Gate shot at Dangerous Gate, then I don't know what they're doing here, because that is a huge fall for Maria to win. Well, if Yosuke Santa Maria is not getting the Brave Gate shot, then I am suddenly gravely concerned with the booking of this match. I accept right. I accept Maria pinning Ben K, accepting the reality that in the future she will challenge for the Open the Brave Gate title. If that does not happen, we will need to condemn this booking because, you know, I've been really on the fence pretty much all year about the way Ben K has been booked, and I get it. His reign started right before, his Triangle Gate reign started right before everything shut down. So throughout King of Gate and those Lapis Hall shows, I kept on having to be reminded that Ben K was a champion and that he wasn't just doing nothing on the undercard. But this is an incredibly weird Triangle Gate team that doesn't necessarily seem urgent to defend the belts. And so I take this loss to Ben K as more of a temporary elevation for Maria rather than a slight to the former Open the Dreamgate champion. Now again, if Maria does not get that match in the future, and I think she will, and given the Cork and Hall card that we're about to break down, I, I assume Maria will be challenging. If that does not happen, though, this booking suddenly looks much worse which is a shame because I really liked this match. And for as good as Maria was, and even, you know, despite pinning Ben K with a flash pin, how convincing her win was, to me, the guy that stood out in this match was Kota Minora. I cannot believe that his elevation only started two months ago in July because as soon as he stepped into that role and then a month ago, when they open the Twin Gate titles, this looks like a guy that has been wrestling in, in semi-main events and main events for years now. He looks so comfortable in his role, and I thought his interactions with Yamato in this match yes. were absolutely electric. It was outstanding. These two guys really went at it. They did like this real, uh, Kota Minora did his water wheel suplex that looked insane. And it's something that, Kota Minora is still 21. He doesn't turn 22 until the end of this year. And we're seeing this guy who just crossed. He's just now entered his third year of wrestling. He's not legally able to drink in the United States. And he's able to just completely turn it on. And it, it might be one of the most impressive elevations that we've seen in wrestling over the last year is how much like they put the faith in Kota Minora. Like, okay, this is a guy now. And each opportunity and each whatever checkpoint you can give him, he's exceeded the expectations because he's in the ring with Yamato, the company ace, the leader of his unit, and he's trading bombs with him. And it felt like the most, it wasn't just that Minora performed, it felt like Yamato had a special hitch in his step facing him too. 
and it turned out to be like it's a really solid match and it's just one of those things that like you're seeing like this and like going back to this match this match was as much of a handicap match of Yamato taking on Maria uh, I mean Yamato and Maria taking on Minonora as Benke was in there because Benke was someone that felt very invisible in this match until the fall this was like a Kota Minonora match and him facing off against his seniors and contemporaries and knocking out of the park I went three and three quarters on this match and it's something worth going out of your way for the continual elevation of these guys, most of whom haven't hit their 25th birthday yet, let alone their 30th. I mean, all the champions in this company right now are under 30, which I think is an an under-talked-about story to think that there are four legitimate, worthy champions under the age of 30 in the second biggest wrestling company in Japan. That is something that needs to be applauded, and it's not only the rise of Minora, it's the rise of Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka, who are now on excursion. When they come back, I expect main event pushes for both of them. We've talked at length about how Dragon Daya, with the snap of the fingers, was elevated and is now one of the most interesting and exciting men in wrestling. It's establishing Kaito Ishida after years of battling injuries and battling stagnant pushes. it is He has been legitimized as a major threat on the roster, and even a guy like Strong Machine J, who came in with all of the eyeballs on him, and I think we have seen his peak. I think we know where his career can go, but that career is a, a strong part of an Open the Triangle Gate team. It is all of these young guys, they are all crushing it right now, and Minora is arguably the leader of that pack because he has looked so comfortable ever since his rapid elevation in a match that he wasn't even initially booked in on July 4th. It's just something that like we've seen this now, and he in every situation, he's knocked it out of the park. We've now seen him go from being a guy who was just kind of there and now he is not just like a main event player but he's someone that I feel like wholeheartedly that the whole entire like projection or whatever you have about Kota Minora has drastically changed over the last the last 60 days and it's to something now where you, you know how I like talking about projecting people out you know how much I'm a big prospect fan like this I don't know how you prospect him out because he's someone that's exceeded every expectation I've had of him. And then you have Maria who is playing the Maria part the best that the rest, the wrestling character has ever been just doing like the tough as nails, like take no shit Maria. That's the best version of Maria and Yamato just sitting there as company ace and Benke taking the fall. And it was a really fun match. And it's these next, this match and the semi main event are two matches worth going out of your way for. Well, I was going to say, you want to talk about prospects, my friend. We can get into this semi-main event, this six-man R.E.D. versus the class of 2020 rookies. Mike, I mean, it's not even fair. I mean, the talent the Dragon Gate Dojo <laughs> produces, it's just not even fair. There's nothing on the level of this. There's no other company that churns out young talent the way that Dragon Gate does. And I wish, I really wish... New Japan, who has a laundry list of things to take care of right now. I understand why the Young Lion booking might not be at the top of Gato's to-do list. I really wish we were getting, you know, Okada Ishigoto against whatever Young Lions they have coming into the system, because I think Dragon Gate has figured it out, starting especially on December 1st, 2016, with the the infamous 10-man tag that Mike and I reference so often. These legends versus these rookies matches are seemingly can't miss. It's a formula that can't be screwed up, and this match was no different. That's right. This was the uh, class of 2020 versus RED. It's called a challenge match. On the, the class of 2020, of course, is Kento Kabune, Takeda Kamai, and Mako- Madota, Madoka Kakuta. And they went against RED members Eita, BB Hulk, and Hio. Eita won with a chair shot in 15 minutes and 14 seconds, which is worth getting into in a little bit. But this match, like, not only does does this match and, like, these 
these three prospects have just come in here and each time they're on the card as like a team or facing off against someone it has like a different eye on it it's like a different style that's going on there because for like this 15 minute match the first like two minutes and 30 seconds was everyone just chopping the crap out of each other and like that's kind of like the trademark move of this and it was real interesting other than like the opening thing the king of chop did not chop anyone really at all during this match (laughs) well the dynamics were all over the place of this match because it was the rookies who jumped red at the bell it was the rookies who ran down to the entranceway and attacked red and then mike as you mentioned the six men in the ring get into this synchronized chop battle that was so far and away the loudest thing I have heard in a wrestling <laughs> ring since fans have returned. And that goes for the AEW empty arena or limited capacity setting. Obviously, the Thunderdome is another story. Thank God Dragon Gate did not do their own version of the Thunderdome. Uh, you know, New Japan is experimenting with, like, automated cheering, which is a disaster. We talked about the shrieks of horror when Naruki Doi had a muscular bomb on Eita. Those were all noises that added to the atmosphere, but there was no crowd needed for three-way synchronized chops from rookies to R.E.D. in what was just so explosive and such an interesting way to start a match that proceeded to have the Open the Dreamgate champion being really pushed and challenged at times by these rookies, and especially Taketo Kamai, who I thought was the star of this match, because I thought Eita specifically gave a lot to Kamai, and it was very, very interesting watching those two go at it, because I think... Uh, There is a a layer beneath the surface, a layer beneath the storytelling going on, something possibly legitimate, where I think Ata really respects Kamai. And I think Kamai earned a lot of Ata's respect in this match. Yeah, so the the, the, the things with Ata that's so remarkable is a big point of this match was they cleared the ring of Hyo and Hulk, who this was also a very elevated Hyo and Hulk match as well. Those two also brought it as well so they had three on one with uh Aita, and they chopped him into the ropes and would not stop chopping him and he tried to eye rake them and then they came back again and eventually he's like i am eye raking you kids stop doing this now and then him and kakuda had like the sequence that i it's kakuda is still the giant x factor of this class but one thing i do know for certain he has a hell of a discus lariat like the discus lariat he threw in this match was exceptional yeah, no, I Kakuta, you're right. I have no idea what to do with him. He is, uh, much like LeBron James, Madoka Kakuta is built different. Uh, and I yeah. don't really know what to do about that. His body type is just so strange, and there's not really a comp for it. I mean, I, I've recently been watching a lot of young BB Hulk, both with the Dragon Gate USA Rewind and Rewatch series, and some of just the viewing I've done in my own time, because I've had an unfortunate amount of time on my hands lately, and it's maybe similar to Hulk in a sense that I think Hulk was just lankier and just different than anyone else in the company when he came through, but Kakuta's just another animal. I really don't think there's a comp for him yet this early into his career, and he was another interesting guy, and then Kabune... Still, you know, this is maybe, you know, the only time where Kabune's been in a match where he's been overshadowed by both Kamai and Kakuta. You could argue the prior incarnation of this match, Sora Fujikawa, who we talked about last week in his injury, in air quotes. Uh, we talked about Sora Fujikawa and how he sort of stole the show in the Torimon versus Rookies match. Here it was Kabune who still commands such a presence and commands so much attention whenever he's in the ring. I think he looks more confident than Kakuta or Kamai. But Kabune was kind of third place in this one. Like, he just... he. It's not that he was bad. He just wasn't extraordinarily great like I think the other two rookies were. Yeah, because Kamai really has kind of found his role as like the scrappy guy on the team. He's your David Eckstein, if you will. <laughs> uh, he is the loudest of the outdoor kids. And and Kamai is just like, 
it's it, it, it's something with like Kamai that it's just it's kind of exciting to see because something also I noticed Kamai is not as short as we thought he was. No, he was I, I, th- I think it is a an indictment on the rest of the roster uh, that yeah. Kamai is actually bigger than we thought, which means that the other rookies in this class are huge compared to the rest of the roster. I I mean, it's something where this is like one of the few people on the roster who had a couple of obvious inches on Hulk with with Kakuta, and then the finish is something to touch. Ada getting frustrated and doing a chair distraction finish, chair shot finish, was one of those things that. I mean, still wrapping my head around Ada as champion, but him still in this match, being so overwhelmed that like they decided to like have him have a chair shot as the finish was something that, you know, it's something to keep in mind. You know, like maybe it's just like screw these kids, I'm out of here. But it's something that like why not just super kick their their heads off and that's it. You know, like and like that was the one thing that kind of raised my eyebrow with the finishes. Ada probably shouldn't need to use chair shots to beat them. Yeah, that is true. That is something that I had not really considered. And now that you bring it up, I I think you're right in that sense. I I don't I don't have a good counter for that. I think you're right, and that's just something that didn't strike me while I was watching the match. I watched the match twice, and both times I was like, "Wow, Ata had to use a chair to beat them." But now that you say that you're right, Dreamgate champion, it would have been very entertaining for him to just kick their heads off. I should note one other spot right before the finish. Uh, it was Ata and. Kamai and they were in the ring and there's a spot where uh I'm sorry it's it's uh, Kamai and Hulk and Kamai hits the ropes Ata trips him up BB Hulk hits the ropes uh Kakuta trips him up right. and then they yeah. sort of crawl and Kamai does a sunset flip onto Hulk for a two count that felt straight out of like 1994 Michinoku Pro if I was a guy on the indies I would be stealing that spot for my next tag match that was just a small thing that might be hard to craft it as some sort of signature spot but that really stood out to me as something really unique and innovative that the young guys are now bringing to their matches yeah no and as always these young these young lion matches, these young dragon matches, I should say, are always worth your time. The show will be up on the network until the 7th. It is worth, at least, these last two matches are definitely worth checking out. The main event, we had a eight-man tag. Or no, yeah, it's an eight-man tag. I don't know why it's always marked as a six-man tag, but it is Naruki Doi, Dragon Kid, Yasushi Kanda, and Kagatora on the Torimon Gun side going against the RED team of Big R Shimizu, Kaito Ishida, Diamante, and Takashi Yoshida. Shimizu got the direct fall, and he was given back his entry form with what is called Shimizu's La, Ma- Ma- La Magistral Cradle in 14 minutes and 43 seconds. It might be called Shimizu's because, you know, he's a big boy. He's not as fluid doing a clutch pin as other guys. And, you know, th- this, was a, uh, this was a solid match. And Diamante, again, is just like, he's a guy who is now, like, now he's filling himself. He's just going to take crazy bumps all the time. And I'm really, it's one of those things that always pops me seeing, oh, Diamante just decided to do another hammer. He decided just to eat it. And it kind of is one of those things that he does. And it's like, it's, a, it's his favorite thing. And I fully encourage Diamante to have interesting ways of leaving the ring by hurting himself. Yeah, the super bumper... Uh, I, it's like I almost want to see Joey Janela and Diamante in a match just to see the creative <laughs> ways in which they'd hurt themselves. Like, Diamante has just become such a strange creature, and he moves around the ring just a little weirder than everybody else. He takes these bumps that are so big and excessive for no reason, and it's become, at first it was an eyesore. It was actually terrifying. Now it is very entertaining as he's sort of improved his foundation a year into his time with Dragon Gate. Ultimately, look, this is a main event with Yasushi Kanda and Takashi Yoshida. It is hard to give that a recommendation. Those are two guys that do not need to be at this part in the card. I understand it was Kanda's birthday weekend. I kind of knew once I saw that that he was going to take the pin in this match. And, you know, that's fine. It was not a bad main event, but compared to some of the other stuff we've seen... And you notice that the match quality is a little bit lower in this match compared to some of the other main events in August. And then you look at the names and you go, well, you know, Doi has been in a lot of main events. Strang Kid, Shimizu Ishida, like, those guys are all typically in main events. And then Kanda and Yoshino stick out at you. And you go, oh, 
that makes all the sense in the world. Of course, of course the match wasn't as good. Yes, Sushi Kanda's in the main event in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I went three and a, three and a quarter on this match. It was fine. Yeah, as like, did it I. Just, yeah, it, it's a fine match. Uh, Kagatora, you know, he's someone that when he, there's not a lot of stuff going on, he can be another Kanda and Yoshida. He was solid here. Like, this was just, like, a fine thing. And, I mean, as, like, an hour, 45-minute show, this was incredibly... This was an incredibly easy to watch show, and it feels like that after the uh, the uh, Dragon Gate versus Dragon Gate tag match and the challenge match, this was kind of coming in for a landing. You know, this is like, all right, and here's the final match, and we're done. You know, it it was like the like they were pulling it out of gear, but it was fine. This is like really, this is a show that I mean, Casey, did you have any matches on this show that were below three stars? Like I had two and I had one that was two and three quarters. It just was a good show. Yeah, I, I had I had one at two and three quarters and match number two, and other than that, everything was at three stars or higher. It's what it's what we've been asking for from these Kobe Samba Hall shows for so many years now, because so so often they are just lifeless, and it seems like they are purposefully putting the the most boring combinations of matches possible uh, on these shows. And ever since the crowds have returned, Kobe Samba Hall has been fun again. And that's been great to see. Yeah, yeah, it's been a really fun time, and that cl- that's it for the uh, Gate of Adventure. They are now taking off until their uh, weekend in Okinawa. That's their next shows that they have coming up. Uh, just running down the cards, uh, we- we've talked about how like, these Okinawa cards sometimes they will pull something for like a like a like we're on vacation kind of thing, and then sometimes they just don't make air. Uh, really, uh, it has a lot of Ryukyu Dragon people on it. Of course, the Dawn of Okinawa, Gurken Mask manages to get himself at least past, at least right before intermission on one of these shows and is in the opener and the other ones. Uh, uh, Mi Hibiscus, who is the former Apple Miyuki from uh, Michinoku Pro, is now in Ryukyu Dragon. But I'm looking at these cards right now, Case, and really, like, the only, like, stuff that I'm looking at that I find super interesting is we have a... Speed Muscle versus Lee and Daya match on the fourth. That looks like that could be a whole lot of fun. We have a the main event is Yamato, KZ, and Kota Minora versus Ada, Kaido Ishida, and Hyo. That match owns on the fifth. And then on the sixth, UT versus Kaido Ishida. I would love to watch that match. And then we get a a Dragon Gate versus Dragon Gate tag with uh, Minora and Daya going up against Benkei and Strong Machine, Strong Machine J. So they broke up the... Uh, they, they broke up the Triangle Gate team for that, and then in the main event, there again, we have we have the old Maximum team of Dragon Kid, Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, versus the uh, R.E.D. Top 3 and B.B. Hulk, Ada, and Big R. Shimizu. So, I mean, looks like fun shows. Uh, there's some stuff on these cards I would like to see, but I just don't expect that it will make tape. Yeah, no, we like the exact same things here. Uh, the Speed Muscle tag on the first show that the fact that that is not airing is a real shame and then UT versus Ashita who if you remember from last year and this match should be it, it is up on the network now yeah it uh, is. from January 13th of last year in Osaka number two that was the moment that we knew there was something there and sustainable with Ashita because you know, it's almost one of those maybe avoid it if you miss crowd noise so much because that was when I remember you and I just messaging each other going like, oh my god, like, there's really something there with Ashida, And then, you know, he obviously became what he became. So it's a real bummer that the Okinawa shows are not making tape this year. Uh, on the rare chance they do, they're always a fun watch. But we do have a Cork and Hall show coming up on September 9th. Uh... I, I don't want to pull the flagship here and do the on-air production meeting, but I am assuming we'll be recording either on Wednesday or Thursday night of next week. Thus, you will have a slight delay in the usual Thursday upload, but we will have audio, uh, a full audio review of this Cork and Hall show soon after it is completed. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure this out. We'll tweet out when the show will go up. We'll figure this out here, but interesting show as they have released the schedule for september uh we talked about it last week but they are taping and airing uh masato yoshino's homecoming show his last homecoming show uh as soon as shingo takagi left they seem like they've picked up yoshino as the homecoming show to do each year so what we have coming up we have that cork and hall show 
and then it's straight into the doubleheader at Edeon 2, and then staying in Osaka for an Higashi Osaka, which is the uh, the home ward of Masato Yoshino on the 19th, and then Dangerous Gate on the 21st before taking off a couple days and coming back to Kobe Samba Hall. Those are the shows that will be taped next month. Going over this card case, really kind of, they've done interesting things with these Korkins since they've come back, and this is a pretty loaded Korkin when I look at this up and down, and you know, we will definitely at least should know nearly everything we need to know about Dangerous Gate coming out of uh, Corkin on the 9th. Yeah, uh, just a real quick overview of September. I am chomping at the bit to see that Yoshino homecoming card. I'm really excited that that is going to air this year. I Unfortunately, I think the Osaka double shot is probably going to be plagued by some Road to Dangerous Gate cage matches, so we'll yeah. probably get odd pairings of the six participants, just like we're getting in this Cork and Hall show, but September's another big month. If for some reason you weren't subscribed to the Dragon Gate Network in August for the eight shows that aired this past month, September gets you a Cork and Hall show, an Osaka doubleheader, the Masato Yoshino homecoming show, and Dangerous Gate, which is one of the big five shows. So if you're on the fence, uh, September is the time to make the leap. You know, be 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 on the right side of history and support <laughs> who I think has been the best wrestling company in the world this year. Uh, slightly better than AEW. Uh, and then after that, I, nothing else from Japan has impressed me all that much. And America is a dumpster fire, not only in the world of professional wrestling, but in terms of the world, but luckily we do have the September 9th Cork and Hall show that I wasn't too crazy about the first time I looked at the card, and then I looked at it again and realized that there was actually just one match that looks so abhorrent that it distracted how good the rest of the card (laughs) looks, Uh, so we will cross that bridge when we come to it. All right, so running down this card, I'm just going to read off the listings case and then we can get it into the highs and what will be the very low of this show so opener we get Mariah Sapa again and they're going against the unaffiliated team of Misaki Mochizuki and Gamma kind of wild to recognize that Mochizuki had no dates this weekend so he was not in Kobe so he'll be back in Tokyo singles match uh Keisuke Okuda versus Hio match three Yosuke Sanamari and Puncho Minaka versus Takashi Yoshida and Diamante let's just hold on hold on let's just stop there (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, this is the match that took us aback when we, we we were like wiping like the crumbs out of our eyes. We woke up and we saw this card. I think we both had the exact same response of what is going on here. Best wrestling company in the world. Unbelievable storytelling. I cannot fucking believe that they had the audacity to book Yosuke Santamaria, who has been great recently, and Punch Tamadaga, who recently had a four-star match against Takashi Yoshida. And Diamante, who has also been very fun lately. I just don't see a version of this match happening that doesn't suck. And that is my grave concern here, is that despite the fact that we're on an upswing with Maria again, that we just saw that Tamadaga can do it under the right circumstance. And despite the fact that Diabate, I don't know, he'll probably take a superplex to the floor in this match. I mean, it seems like that's sort of the next step at his elevation is bumping from the top rope instead of from the ring to the floor. And then with Yoshida, who I can't even fake a compliment for, I'm really concerned about this match. This could be really, really bad. You know how I think we could save this match? Uh, uh, Green Demon Mask comes out, debuts, and takes out Yoshida. That's how you save this match. It That's how t- it takes out Yoshida for good, mind you. Just we just, I feel like we've evolved past the point of needing Takashi Yoshida. Like, well, oh, I had my moment a couple weeks ago. Case, <laughs> I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm glad that you're on my side now. When I had like my emotional breakdown about having to watch Yoshida matches, I, you know, we're just living. In these very troubling times, and there's been a lot of self-reflection in my <laughs> life lately of of not only how I have been living, but how I would like to live going forward. And one of the realizations that I've made is that I don't need to watch Takashi Yoshida anymore. Just not someone 
that needs to be in this company. And I don't even, like, the thing is, Yoshida's had moments where it's like, yes, like, he's not terrible. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. He seems like he's a pleasure to be around. I would love to go out eating with him in Osaka sometime. But can't he go to Big Japan? Can't he just, like, not be here anymore? It's very concerning seeing him stick out like a sore thumb no matter where he is on the card. And and it's something that, like, whenever I see him, I'm like, oh, this is what Yoshida is now. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, this is what it is. And then I look at the rest of this card and this rest of this card case. So picking up where we left off there, uh, we have what would be a challenge match. I decided to call it Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Shuji Kondo against Kabune, Kamai, and Kakuta. Like, th- that is a real, uh, th- there's the two sides of the coin right there, <laughs> just back to back. And then we have a Toriumon versus Dragon Gate, eight-man tag, Doi, Dragon Kid, Susumi Akosuka, and Kakatora versus KZ, Strong Machine J, Kota Minonori, Jason Lee. That looks like that could be a lot of fun. We have this semi-main event, Benkei and Dragon Daya versus Ishida and Sakamoto. Daya and Sakamoto have tremendous chemistry, by the way. And then we have a main event match, which is the number change six-man tag that was set up last month where the person who wins the fall has the power to either to change any set of numbers once. They could, like if Shimizu won, he could just say, I'm one, now Ada is two, Kai are three. Or if Yoshino wins, he can go take... uh, a big Arshimizu's number for good. So, Case, really, after we get past that valley, this really has a lot on the show that I'm really looking forward to. I mean, I mean, I might be the high person out of the two of us on Maraha Asafa, but them versus Mochizuki and Gamma, it's probably going to be pretty jokey and weird, but that's going to be a fun opener as well. Well, and Akuda versus Yo is the one where I think that has, I mean, that's going to be like a four-minute match, but I think that could be a really sneaky, good four-minute match. And then you go into the business end of the card, and we just saw what Fuji and Kondo can do against these rookies, but now we have Ultimo in this match, and if there was ever a time for the Ultimo ego to come out in a positive way, for him to just kick the shit out of some kids, I hope it is this time. <laughs> like, I'm really, really excited to see what Ultimo does against literal rookies, against literal children. This is his company, he returned home, and now he has to deal with these kids. Like, I just, I, I was not anticipating Ultimo really getting involved in a match like this, a match that... Uh, should be pretty high intensity, a little higher on the card than he typically works. And I'm very welcoming towards it because it is such a unique situation for him to be in. I think that Torimon Drangit eight-man tag could very easily end up on my spreadsheet. That is a good combination of guys there. Same with match six. I mean, Daya has great chemistry with Sakamoto, like you mentioned. He obviously kills it against Ashida, and, and Ben K is an interesting guy to throw into that mix there. And with the exception of the valley that is match number three, I'm probably least excited about the main event more than anything else on the show. I mean, this it's just, I don't like the stipulation. I felt like we, we already did this in August, and I didn't really want to revisit sure. uh, the, the lottery system and just what they're doing here, but I've talked about that previously. But there was no reason that that can't be a good match as well. So it's a seven-match Corkin, and five and a half out of the seven matches could be really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're someone who loves Dragon Gate melodrama, match seven will have that for you in spades. Like, there is something for you if you're interested in that kind of thing in match seven. But I'm, like, looking at this thing, like, the one thing that I worry about about this card is it's seven matches, and you're going to need a lot of time in that main event. And I hope that lets there's still opportunity for Ultimo Dragon to really put Madoka Kakuda into some crazy knots. Like, that's why I want out of this. I want to see I want to see Ultimo find a way to turn this kid into a pretzel. Like, that's my one dream on this show. Yeah, no, if anything gets cut for time, I kind of hope it's match number five. I kind of hope they just give them eight to ten minutes and just say, just go, just go to the finishing stretch. Just as soon as you get into the ring, go home and just do move after move after move. Because that's that's one of those matches that I, you know. We'll talk about it when it actually happens, and we'll see if it holds up to to the hypothesis that that eight man tag, if it if the execution of that match was happening anywhere else on Earth, it would blow people's minds. But in reality, it is just sort of the house style 
of this company. So, you know, if it's four stars, it's just another four-star match. If it happened anywhere else, it would be the talk of the wrestling community. Yep, that would be the case. And again, we'll we'll let you know next week when we figure out when we're going to record, but I would say expect the show probably Friday-ish is what I would say, and we will cover this entire show. And we have a couple of minutes left, Kay, so we, we were shooting for about an hour, so we have enough time to really talk about this. It's been a busy uh, week and so for Yuki Yoshioka and Shin Skywalker in Mexico. They have been... Mexico is starting to open up a little bit. There's been some more shows, and there was one particularly big one that I that we saw this weekend. It is on YouTube. You can just search the show. It is called the IWRG Ray Del Ring and Part 3. If you search that, you'll find it. If you go to Mas Lucha, they, they always have like the show on this. It has full production. There are crowd members. There are air horns. This will probably be the loudest crowds you will hear will be in Mexico. And on the show, we got to see kind of a two-match challenge in a way. It was the – this was building off the thing I think we talked about a couple months ago where we had the Ray Del Ring uh, Battle Royal that uh, Shun Skywalker won, and he was going to go up against the person who won the other Battle Royal. That ended up being uh, Hio Del Canis Lupus, and they had a singles match. And uh, Canis Lupus's brother and tag team partner in the Golapadores – and Dragon Bane had a match with Yuki Yoshioka. So I made time to watch these two matches. I know you did too. What were your thoughts about this? Because this is like the most like complete like check-in we've had so far with uh, Yuki Yoshioka and Shun Skywalker. Yeah, the uh, the most cursed excursion of all time. And, and we, maybe, you know, in the future, we can do a better job of tracking the Dragon Gate wrestlers that go outside of Dragon Gate. But the reality is, despite Masaki Mochizuki being who he is, I can't bring myself to watch Noah in 2020. I get angry. I refuse. I get angry when I read Noah results. I hate that company so much. I hate what they've turned into. I hate their booking. I just hate their existence right now. And that is with not only Mochizuki, but Matsukatsu Funaki showed up last week. And I'm still, I just, I can't do it. I won't do it. That being said, you asked me about Lucha, so let me answer that question. Uh, <laughs> the the IWRG show, I watched, you know, the Yoshioka and the Skywalker matches. The Yoshioka match was sloppier than the Skywalker match. Very but, much so. But, but I came away thinking, like, wow, like, Yoshioka's really close to figuring it out. Like, I have confidence. Like, Skywalker will be fine, but Yoshioka's the one where I do feel like it's a little bit more sink or swim, and I can't I can't entirely figure out what they want to do with him. And I think that has actually been something that has plagued Yoshioka throughout his career is, you know, what is he? What can he do? He seems to do everything very well, but is he really great at any one thing? And that I still don't know. But watching Yoshioka specifically, forget the guy he was in the ring with, but Yoshioka specifically... I thought looked very good. He's putting on muscle. He's clearly aged. He doesn't look like a child anymore. I'm, he looks kind of sleazy. Yeah, I'm very bullish on Yoshioka right now. I'm very curious to see what he does when he eventually returns to Japan. As for Skywalker, I like the match. Uh, I mean, it's Shun Skywalker, and that match got plenty of time. That match went on for quite a bit, uh, but it, it didn't drag. It was just interesting to see Skywalker in a long match given the state of his excursion so far. But he looked good. He always looks good. Once he's back in Japan, he'll hit the ground running. It was just nice to see Shun Skywalker in a ring, a functioning ring at that, once again. Yeah, it was nice to see him in a ring that wasn't ten sides and broken down. <laughs> in an actual venue. I mean, this was at Arena Nakapon. That's a pretty historical venue for Dragon System. That's where... Everyone started off at because Ultimo Dragon Gym was affiliated with Arena Nakapalm with IWRG. And it just was nice seeing them. Uh, touching a little bit on Yoshioka and what you said, the big thing with Yoshioka, and I've always kind of felt like this, and the comp I threw on him was Susumi Yokosuka. Yes. Because very much someone who's able to do everything you'd want in the ring, but he's not necessarily the person that ideally you want to be doing all the mic work in your go-home segments. And it's not a slight against them, it's just, that's not who they are. And for me, like the big thing about this excursion was we needed to see like some sort of character or charisma coming out of him because out of anyone who's probably come through the dojo over the last five years at just being 
a junior heavyweight wrestler. No one is better at being a junior heavyweight wrestler than Yuki Yoshioka. Like, you could put, if any company had Yuki Yoshioka, he'd be a highlight of their cruiserweight or junior division. He is that salt in the ring. But the thing is that in Dragon Gate, there's other things you have to consider. And part of that is charisma, and part of that is being able to work a microphone, to be able to have a personality, to joke around, and be able to have some sort of an enhanced crowd pull. Because just being a solid wrestler is not going to cut it in Dragon Gate. And he was kind of sleezing it up, and it was kind of nice to see. He was very comfortable kind of playing like a Rudo against uh, Dragon Bane and Dragon Bane. The, the Gulpadors are a very controversial tag team, to say the very least. Uh, uh, he's put on weight, but the big thing was that Dragon Bane was a terrible base, was not able to lift up Yuki Oshioka, and he's still not a huge guy. But like that was my big takeaway, is it was nice to see Yuki Oshioka have like a big like character match, that you got who he was, he was comfortable playing the foreign heel in the way that often happens with Japanese wrestlers in Mexico. And then Shun Skywalker, it was just like a blast from 2019 seeing Shun Skywalker again. He has new gear. He's kept the uh, he's kept the vaporwave aesthetic. I'm very happy about that. They was able to find some tight threads to put on a mask and arm sleeves. <laughs> Hold on, you're telling me Shun Skywalker had new gear? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was able to get it done in Mexico, so at least that might be what he was doing during the downtime was finding more gear. The man who I think wore a different mask and tights on, I think literally every single show last year. Every Corkin. He never, every Corkin. He never had a unit outside of Mochizuki Dojo, which didn't really have a color scheme. It wasn't an official unit. And then the back half of the year, it was just like, well, Skywalker's wearing pink and he's wearing blue and he's wearing green. And you're telling me Shoot Skywalker had new gear in Mexico? Get out of here. <laughs> I mean... Hey, maybe he has the connections that he'll be able to have a whole bunch of masks done. He'll be able to sell those masks, make a nice, you know, side hustle there. You know, like if he's going out that way, all for it, Shun. You found your lane and go for it. But you got to see like Shun Skywalker here against Kinus Lupus, who I came away being more impressed with him than his brother. And they had like a really solid like crowd section beating their our crowds here. That was a little bit a uh, distance. I, I did see that for the matches coming up next week that he has a that they're doing 30% capacity and Shun did not lose the aspect of his personality that kind of became his trademark which is you watch Shun Skywalker in the ring he, he's about to do something and you have a prolonged moment of oh god Shun Skywalker is going to break something and this time they actually went out and checked for him because he jumped and did a plancha from the ring and they have hard barricades and ran knock upon like into what would be like the third or fourth row clocking into Countess Lupus, who did not really catch him that well, and that meant that Shin Skywalker went headfirst in the cement. It did seem like that he was okay for the rest of the match, but that was a scary moment, and he ended up winning with two of his moonsault knees and then the Skywalker moonsault. So he won the tournament edition of Ray Del Ring. He faces the current Ray Del Ring champion next week. Next Sunday, it will be also streaming. It streams live. They stream IWRG live. So if you have YouTube... And you go to Masalucha, you'll be able to find this stream, and he'll go for a title match. And this would be like the big thing for him is if he ends up like becoming this champion. He he has won like a twenty four seven belt while he's been in Mexico, but this is actually something that you know the company probably would be like if he comes back winning this tournament. It's a nice thing to come back from the excursion for, and it was just kind of nice to check in on those two. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the only way I'm going to watch Lucha in 2020, so I'm glad that, you know, if I'm if I'm going to do it, Shun Skywalker is going to be there. Yeah, and speaking of which, I have found that there was another show that Shun Skywalker, and Yuki Oshoka, I think, was on the show as well. Originally, he was going to be teaming with Ultimo Guerrero on this DTU pay-per-view that their version of an empty arena is that they found a bar that they could run and have matches at, which is the most DTU thing DTU possible. DTU is the only good Lucha company. Let me let me state on the record, <laughs> DTU is the we, only good one. It's the only one I like. It's the only one I will willingly watch from time to time. You've defined yourself as being on the DTU side of the Lucha Libre Vanguardia DTU <laughs> split. It has been noted, Jurassic Boy might find out. Well, is well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is Jurassic Boy not there anymore? No, there's a huge split that like half of DTU went and formed their own company called Lucha Libre Vanguardia. And it's been a pretty, like, it, it's been a pretty spicy split. You know what I have to like say about to... that? Fuck hmm. DTU. I, my, okay. allegiance, my allegiance goes with Drastic Boy and Drastic Boy only. 
I, I respect that. I respect that. And though th- there was a match that happened in D2 that it ended up being Ultimo Guerrero was supposed to be Shun's partner. He got pulled because it's CMLL and CMLL does bullshit. And guess who, in case I know you know who it, who his new partner is, but is who I find to be the most interesting man in wrestling, the Instagram granddad, Dr. Wagner Jr. tag team with Shun Skywalker. And that is something that happened in 2020. I'll be watching. I'm looking forward to it. That 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 is. I'm just glad in the year that we're having that that match exists. We could have moments, and I'm very happy to have moments like that. So it is very, it is a very nice thing to see. And you know, it's nice checking on the kids in Mexico. Hopefully, as things are starting to to catch up, we'll figure out a good way. Maybe once a month, we'll do like a section where we just talk all about that. But that's going to do it for this edition of open the voice gate as we said earlier we'll let you know on twitter when the new episode happens so we can make sure to cover corkin as thoroughly and as quickly as possible uh case anything you want to hit on before we get out of here no we've talked about enough lucha i'm ready to go all right you could follow case on twitter at underscore in your case you can follow me on twitter at fujiheya you can follow the podcast account you probably should because that's when we'll we'll let you know when the next update's coming out at open voice gate For Case, I'm Mike, and we'll catch you next time on Open the Voice Gate.